Book Club podcast that currently has cardboard cards available for sale of us posing, naturally. We've got some Amanda poses, some Travis poses. Amanda, what are your poses on our baseball-type cards? Uh, Mine are all going to be super cutesy, lots of peace signs around the eyes, making little hearts with my arms, that kind of stuff, you know. Okay. Poses, (laughs) a lot of, like, you said peace signs, a lot of, I don't know, flower imagery or something? What are the cutesy kind of bubbly art? Are they bright color? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. And and really cutesy props. Lots of cats too. <laughs> I'll make mine more ornate then and maybe just sort of brooding. I'll do a couple in you know, in shadows. Maybe mine'll be black and white then. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, those should probably just be our podcasting personas now. We should make them to fit. We also do, I did write this in the intro, but we we can also write poetry on demand for $80,000. That's the going rate per poem that we're currently charging. No takers so far, so we haven't written very much, but we're ready. (laughs) Commissions are open. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. The reason we're talking about cards and selling poetry is because this is a book club episode. These are our analytical deep dive episodes on a book we've chosen to read together. Um, You can follow our social media feeds to keep up with our choices. We are at the Lightly Literary Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram, all one word, so follow those accounts. Rate us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you found this podcast. Tell your friends and family, etc. We always appreciate that. Again, we're here for an analysis episode. We're going to be discussing the first half of a, I guess, just pretty straight up historical, it's really not a biography, but a historical account an analysis of Oscar Wilde. The name of the book is Wild in America. That's wild with an E at the end of it, as that was his name, by David M. Friedman. This was an Amanda pick. If you don't know our book selection system for book clubs, each person gives the other a prompt, and then the other person picks a book to fit the prompt. So it's a bit of a back and forth system, I guess. I don't know how, if we've ever defined that before, but we will begin to now in these intros. I should have been doing that the whole time. So there you go. That's how we pick them. Is This is the first episode on Wild in America. Amanda, why don't you set up why you chose it? I believe, I don't know, I might be misremembering now, but I believe my prompt for you is just to pick nonfiction because you had not done that yet. Yep, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, really wide open. To be fair, the Yamashita did have some essays in it, so I, I think I had prejudged because I knew there was fiction in that one. Mm-hmm. So I think I had I had written this prompt up knowing that you hadn't really picked nonfiction. And what was the the Korean novel about the the woman growing up kind of psychosis and Oh, Kim Ji Young, born nineteen eighty two. Yeah. That had research elements, but was fiction, so right. you've been dancing around this, but anyway, the prompt was, you've been trying to avoid it, you've been sprinkling it in, but I wanted to go heavier on the seasoning, so I just said pick anything that's nonfiction, and this is what you chose, mm-hmm. so talk to us about why you picked it. Um, I chose this one, actually, because you had mentioned that you had grabbed this book before, and you had not read mm-hmm. it, um, yep. thinking that I would be interested in it, and then you explained to me that it was about... The idea of celebrity specifically with Oscar Wilde coming to the States. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember reading an account um, from Oscar Wilde. It was just a small blurb about his perspective of America when he came to visit and how snobby and like <laughs> you just yeah. did not care for America yeah. compared to England. And so I was like really right. interested and, and I thought this would be a great, uh, great read for me. Yeah, the only quotes I'd seen from Wilde about his time in America were hypercritical. Yeah. So that was actually partially I was looking for 
if someone had collected his correspondence from when he was in the States into some kind of coherent volume, maybe with some commentary or something. That's what, when I found this book, that's really what I was searching for. And maybe that book is out there and I just didn't search for very long or very hard. But Mm -hmm. at the time I was just looking for something. I just wanted to see his collection of writings about his time in the States to see if what coherently it it kind of said or what the critiques were Mm -hmm. but this is what i stumbled upon instead and you chose it so i yeah this is one where i will say that i i don't think i influenced your choice but i at least floated the idea yeah so this is what we ended up doing (laughs) don't want the listeners to think i I peer pressured you i did already own it so you know didn't have to go buy a new book which i'm always up for but that's that is convenient for me so thanks for that (laughs) you're very welcome (laughs) Yeah, yeah always always about convenience here okay Well, with that set up, let's talk about this book. We are going to be analyzing the first half of the book today. We always split our book club episodes into two parts. So if you're listening to this one, check back in in the feed in a week's time, and we'll have part two up analyzing the second half and the whole work. But for today, it's just chapters one through four, including the prologue, I believe. Mm -hmm. Is it it four or three? Four. Four. Yeah. It's about page 130 in mind. But yeah, we always try and divide the book just about in half, so... Okay, excellent. We'll start our book club with surprises, pleasant and otherwise. This is what we always start book clubs with, talking about something in the work that has surprised us, and as the name says, it can be good or bad or neutral. Amanda, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, I said that I was surprised by how there's very little actual like biography in here so far. It's very focused on the author's thesis, but that's not a bad thing. Um, I enjoy the focus, and I enjoy getting something out of not only his life, but it is almost like a biography in some places, but really it's just an academic thesis that I'm reading and it's, it's enjoyable. And if you're looking for a biography in general, it's probably not going to be what you expect. So (laughs) yeah, it's all in the subtitle, the invention of modern celebrity. This is clearly an academic who had a focus and wanted to present a thesis and an idea about someone in history and has done so pretty compellingly so far, I'd say. I agree with you on that one. But yeah, I think, for example, he has skirted pretty aggressively some of the sexuality stuff with Mm Wilde, which in a different book would just be the whole book. (laughs) And so it's just clear that he has a lens, you know, because I think... And he even acknowledges at some point that many historians have, you know, he does interject his own research and his summary of research in that, or insofar as he'll say things like, you know, many historians have debated this point, or there's a lot of debate about this topic, or, you know, who, was he a lover of this person, or did he, all that stuff, Mm -hmm. or what was their exact relationship, we don't know. And so, yeah, I think he's pretty, he seemed pretty even-handed, but yeah, he's, I mean, the lens is obvious for sure. Yeah. Has that annoyed you? No, 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 not at all. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of glad that he does not go into a whole lot of depth with that stuff because I think that would just completely railroad his stuff and it would be, instead of it being focused on the idea of celebrity, then it would be focused on the idea of his um, sexuality, which there are already books on that. It's I mean, you can read it, right? And it seems like every biographer mentions his sexuality at some point because it yeah. did lead to imprisonment and eventual death. So yes, it was right, important right. Uh, to his life story. But um, I, I, I think that he chose wisely in, in skirting a lot of the biographical notes mm. um, and, and maintaining his focus on, 
on the idea of of how he built an image of himself in America. Yeah, and I'll jump in with my surprise, which is essentially yours too, actually. We kind of aligned. I just didn't know what kind of academic work it would be. I just knew it would be one, and academics, when they decide to publish like big works or something that aren't maybe as niche or maybe they're trying to get into that popular book publication realm. I don't, I don't know if this one would break through, frankly, just because of the topic, I guess. But mm-hmm. all that said, I wasn't sure what kind of tone it would strike or just how it would be laid out. I, he practically ends the prologue with an undergraduate level thesis, you know, mm-hmm. like I could teach a high schooler to write the paragraph he wrote. And I, and for me, that's a compliment. It has just made the book very easy to follow every chapter. It's going mostly chronologically, but also interwoven into that. He kind of takes the chronology, but then also divines a lesson from each chunk of his life or the, his trip, you know, mm-hmm. so and so it's been very clear to follow the points he's been making, how he's assembled arguments, how he's building all this case, essentially. And yeah, at the end of the prologue, I won't read the whole quote on my 16, but he ends by basically pointing out all these other celebrities. And he says how Wilde knew the value of advertisements for himself. He saw the beauty in commerce and marketing. He grasped that fame, that you could make up fame in the media and manipulate the media. He invented something called celebrity culture. And then the, for the final line is, this is how he did it. And then the book begins. And so, yeah, he just lays out like, well, those are the four things he's going to prove. Yeah. <laughs> and that now he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I found it refreshing. I think coming off of Devil in the White City, this is a pretty strong co- contrast, though both would be, you know, quote unquote, equally researched maybe in their thoroughness. Mm-hmm. It is a distinctly different approach to writing something and trying to propose something, which we have not, we did not intentionally do that. We just chose two nonfiction we were curious about, but now it's making for a fascinating contrast. It really is. When I first started reading this, um, coming off of Devil in the White City, I was like, whoa, I need to like... <laughs> get my head in the game here is completely different yeah yeah it's like nonfiction, and it is you know a historical lens but the the writing styles are so completely different not to say that Mm -hmm. one is superior to the other but they have very different methods of of offering information and i think because friedman is specifically trying to tie oscar wilde and his life to modern day uh, concepts of celebrity, which I, I think is fascinating. And, and it's a it's a great way to respond to students when they're like, why do I need to read this? It was written in the Victorian era. And you can be like, because mm-hmm. yeah. obviously he's laying out the, the framework for you to become another Kardashian or something, right? So like... Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... the 1800s, you know, the late 1800s weren't so far away. I think we always... I don't know. Maybe it's the acceleration of some of the technological stuff we've yeah. gotten into in the last 40 years or so, roughly computer era or computer age, that makes the past feel even further from us or, or something. I don't, that's a thesis in and of itself, I guess. I just spouted off. <laughs> but uh, maybe something like that. But it does seem that, yeah, that you have to be a little more explicit when you're connecting the past to the present, I think. Mm-hmm. And the book's done it quite well so far, you know, yeah. at least, again, in my view. So, yeah, I was just surprised by the clarity of it and the tone, the writing approach and everything, the organization even of it. And so, you know, going coming off Devil in the White City, you've got these crisscrossing narratives with, at times, and we admired this, or I admired this, lack of, there's not really a cohesion to it. It was just kind of 
darting back and forth, leaving you to find connections or sort of put together thematic connections. This is, yeah, just of quite a different work mm-hmm. and approach. Yeah. And the, um, um, the tone, yeah. actually, for me, uh, reading this was my please continue. Um, so. Yeah, it's been kind of playful <laughs> yeah. in, in spots. It's not overwhelmingly... I think it all comes across as the person is thoughtful and he has just enough fun, I would describe it as, that you kind of have fun along the ride. What, what did, how do you phrase it then? What did you like about it? Um, I liked that it was conversational. I liked that it was approachable, even though it's academic in nature. Mm-hmm. And yeah. especially when we think back to um, Sansei and Sensibility, which was mm-hmm. very yeah. academic in nature, um, but not as easy to approach. You definitely have to have a particular mindset for that collection. This one is very much inviting and and even like looking at word choice, right? It's not like he's choosing a whole lot of really big words that like juxtaposition or anything like that. The words that mm-hmm. uh, maybe yeah. the a common reader would not necessarily remember from their high school learning <laughs> and things like that. Um, I think that he purposefully organizes everything, writes everything, and the style, his, um, the simplistic transitions and callbacks to previous thoughts and ideas are specifically meant to invite people to be able to read something that is an academic topic. Yeah. Far more than one time has yeah. he ended not ended rather, but and I was going to say ended a point, but began a sentence with the phrase or expression, this example shows that, mm-hmm. which is a sentence starter again that I would, you know, like if we were in a high school English course, it would be like, here's your five sentence starters for yep. when you want to explain your evidence, when you want to transition into an analysis. And he, yeah, I think it's all capably done. I think at times, like you said, it's conversational, which has made it kind of fun and playful. W- were there any quotes to demonstrate that that struck you? Um, from page 93, um, there was an example that I chose, uh, when he explains his belief that Wilde sought Cerrone, who was the photographer, if you yes, remember, yeah. um, that he pictures, sa- yeah, a lot of pictures in this one in the middle. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> there were, um, but when he is explaining that uh, he thought that Wilde sought out Cerrone instead of the other way around, so he's actually kind of uh, taking the time to actually explain the uh, conclusion that he has drawn based on mm-hmm. the actions and the readings that he's done versus just laying out a conclusion and then not explaining the reasoning. So I think that's um, yeah. really important to how he's approaching his writing here, which is to make it something that other people can be like, oh, okay, I see I see what he's doing here. I see the point he's trying to make. And that was, was that a moment? I, there's definitely been one of these. I, it's funny that we're bringing up all these points for quotes I didn't pull. <laughs> I don't have any of these at the ready. But I swear there was a moment too, it might have been that moment, when he acknowledges that his analysis is not mainstream. Yeah. He says something like, the record actually, like there's correspondence from Wilde to say this is not true, but we know he tended to lie and could, you know, under or overplay things. Here's why I think it actually, was that that moment? There was a moment when he acknowledged that yeah i think so um some biographers it says here 
Um, some biographers mm. of Walt assert that he went to Cerrone's at the insistence of his American handler, Colonel Morse, yes. and had little or no knowledge of who Cerrone was or what he could do for him. But this is hard to credit, considering Walt's close friendship with Sarah Bernhardt, the subject of several of Cerrone's most famous photographs. And while it is plausible that Bernhardt, an actress who had worked with many blah, 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 he, so he also, then he goes on to say, it is hard to right, understand right. why Wilde would have required or even wanted such direction for himself. He was already directing himself in Oxford Bubble, and he goes on to explain even more. Yes. But yeah, he, yeah. he points so he, out what others have said about it, and he's like, eh, yes. this is why I think you're wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but it's so clearly laid out that you, I, I mean, of course, a thoughtful reader, especially maybe an actual historian or something, can quibble as they may. But right. in, in the moment, it's very readable and digestible and... Yeah, I guess readers can always make their own conclusions in terms of his analysis, but it's all laid out really well. Yeah, I agree. Excellent. Okay, well, I'll throw in my please continue then since you segued us in so beautifully. <laughs> I I think the history work in this, which, is there a term for that? His, historicity? Historiography? I don't know. History. History. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> you can tell we've both been out of academic work for so long. <laughs> That's the really just the whole kind of our our whole motto here, you know. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we grasp for it, but we're not in the in the weeds. So at any yep. rate, <laughs> I, whatever the history work, the word for that is, it's I think just been so enjoyable. Especially he he has leaned on quotes a lot from many sources, many different types of from newspapers, comedy papers, from essays, from letters, a lot of correspondence. I have just found the flow of it all to be very satisfying and. Not every time, but nearly every quote that he pulls is meaningful or of intrigue. And so I think, you know, I, I feel like maybe my analysis, I'm, it's, I sound like I'm giving feedback to a high school re- writer or something. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm talking down, but it's just kind of like, hey, good job. <laughs> These quotes are actually good. <laughs> you actually chose the interesting ones or, you know, this is compelling and is adding richness. And like the some of the rhyming poetry that's been making fun of Wilde from some of the comedian publicate the comedy publications has been fun. I, it just feels like real yeoman's work. Like it's just kind of you got to do the legwork, the brute force. And the newspaper quotes he's been pulling have been really slamming. I don't know. I think on forty page 43, he pulls a bunch of, what do they call them? Not axioms, the kind of clever phrases that Wilde would de- deploy. Oh yeah, time, yeah, yeah. You know? The um, oh he, man, we we taught this word reasons? on the Oscar Wilde episode that we did. <laughs> oh okay, fantastic. Well, whatever they were, aphorisms. No, they're like Axioms? quips. Um, it, it says it made him a veritable bon mot machine, but not a bon mot. That's some French expression. Yeah, I'm on the page right now, so we're gonna we're doing our history work right here out loud on the podcast. <laughs> Replacing a word, I mean, he so he anal, uh, analyzes it. He analyzes it really well here. I guess that's why I wanted to share the quote on page forty-three here, which I will do. He says, "Art wasn't Wilde's only conversation subject, especially not the parties he was so eager to attend." That's in Oxford. To ensure he kept getting those invitations, he perfected a verbal trick, replacing a word in a sentence with its unexpected opposite. This sleight of tongue enabled him to take subjects that others deem serious and treat them irreverently, or you know, the vice versa of that. And so he lays a bunch of them out here, which I'm sure in the back came from you know his own letters, and he noticed it this tick in Wilde's you know writing and rhetorical strategy things like i can resist everything except temptation if one tells the truth one is sure sooner or later to be found out that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so 
Yeah, I mean, Oscar Wilde is maybe the most praised literary figure for his wit of all time, maybe? I don't know. At least when I was educated, he was. I'm sure that, obviously, those goalposts have moved around depending on when you were educated or whatever. Whenever you study literature, I'm sure that changes. But right. he was definitely held up as one of the all-time pun pun people, clever people. Him and Shakespeare, I suppose, I remember studying and being that being pointed out. But yeah, I just every time he's brought up things like that and has done the work to incorporate quotes for justifying a point or elaboration or context, mm-hmm. I feel like it has worked really well. And maybe I shouldn't have said every time, but it feels so overwhelmingly the majority of the time. So yeah. that's my please continue. And I, I can't imagine he'll stop. But this just seems like his forte. And he's, you know, a historian doing that work. Any thoughts on things you'd like to stop? I'm going to make you go negative first. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, the negative for me is the descriptions and analysis of several of the Cerrone pictures. That's from, like, page 88 to 90. I felt like it oh, was actually yeah. unnecessary, especially since he includes those same pictures in the book. Mm-hmm. Um not to say oh, that I no. didn't enjoy his view of the Don't photos. go back on it now, Amanda, coming off Devil in the White City. You could say <laughs> the same for that book. I mean, he described all the places so well. <laughs> but we and still wanted like, them. One described it really well, and there were no pictures. And then this one describes it, but there's also already pictures. The The whole thing with me is like, I, I it's not to say that I didn't enjoy his descriptions, but mm-hmm. I felt like it was just unnecessary and almost like filler in a lot of ways, right? Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I can I can look at the pictures myself and I can see that he is doing a particular pose. I can tell that he's holding, you know, a, a book of poetry in particular and the way that he's posing. I understand all of the that, but he's, like, going in-depth with, like, his eyes are piercing and all this other yeah. detail that yeah. I felt like was unnecessary to describe the pose and explain the pose. Yes, of course, that makes sense with the idea of celebrity. But to right. give a blow-by-blow blow of each picture from his hair down to his toes is just, I think, unnecessary in a lot of ways. I read it as, the, you're right, because it's a noticeable departure in elaboration and sort of, it's almost like he allowed himself this moment because he wanted to vamp or something. Mm-hmm. And I just interpreted it as, this must be for Oscar Wilde studies, some kind of legendary moment in his life. This must have been, and I, I think he justifies it later by demonstrating how much his image was reproduced, how many of those things were sold and circulated. And this is, I think for his thesis, is an important moment to point out that this was just becoming a big trend and he got on the trend early, sort of a relationship with that, with that mm-hmm. kind of media right. at any rate. But so I just, uh, yeah, the, the amount of time he took to describe certain ones, I can just imagine that sort of, well, in Oscar Wilde studies, th- this is such a famous, you got to know each pose or like to know the numbers of them, you know, it almost feels like you have to, <laughs> you got to have your, you got to know which pose was which number and what that signified or anyway yeah it it was a bit off script for him though yeah no completely okay i can't imagine i wonder what would get so much description in the back half who knows i don't think is there another photo shoot coming up i doubt it Uh, not not within the photos that i have in my book Um, yeah right perhaps kind of tapped out i don't know cartoony stuff perhaps i don't know (laughs) right right and he has included some of the caricatures that they he mentioned the I think mostly the American papers were making those, but maybe some of the English ones too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair enough make it stop. Okay. 
How about yours? Mine is a classic for me, and if you've you being the listener, have listened to any Penguin episodes, can dive back into our archives for the Penguin Classics ones we did, you'll know this one well. Uh, too many names for me. Started to become too much uh, from the pages. one. Uh, really around page 100 is when it started to affect me, I think. The name dropping became digressive in a way that interrupted the flow. And I, I admire the breadth of the history. Devil in the White City, I think, got away with this because it did it more concisely. And I think because that was so narrative focused and had such a engine chugging along in a narrative way... I don't think it bothered me. It seemed more like he was just patting himself on the back or he didn't really dwell on the connections, I guess, is my point. This feels like he does want to make more explicit and more strong connections for historical purposes, for bringing up different things about, you know, literary movements or history movements or just just relationships. But I think it was I don't know. I think it was the Henry James meeting or building up to that moment where there were perhaps just one too many people floating around in those pages for me. Just to just for it to feel interesting or coherent, I think I, I don't remember any of the points putting me off in terms of di- I did that I disagreed with them or thought they were irrelevant or you know, and nothing like that. It was just kind of you're maybe doing too much. I you know let's just get to the Henry James thing because it seems interesting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it felt bogged down. I for how readable it's been and I completely agree with all of your assessments of the tone. I've also really liked the tone, but I, that was the only time it really started to flag and I I even it was probably the only moment I put it down when I intended to read a bit more. Where I was just kind of like, I'm going to take a break from this. Like this isn't gripping me now or, you know, mm-hmm. I just it's bogging me down. Yeah. Yeah, there was a there's a lot of connections that he tries to make. He uh, mentions like Sam Ward at one point who was Uncle Sam uh, mm-hmm. yeah. the, and I, I did enjoy his quip about lobbyists and how evil they are <laughs> oh, yeah. and their yeah. corruption I thought that was hilarious but yeah. yeah there's there's so many names to kind of muddle through but uh, like with Walt Whitman that was obviously an important idea that he was expressing yeah. Henry James yes but then talking about Henry James's hostess and her husband and their friends gossiping and stuff. I understand why he was mentioning the gossip part, but I think it was unnecessary to make the connections with like Henry James's particular friends. So, yeah, there was, there were a couple extra sentences about the person he traveled with to see Whitman. And I thought that was strange. It, yeah, I don't I don't know if I'd come out of this. I'd have to stare at it a lot longer to come out with maybe a clean edit recommendation or something. It's not like I want to edit the book. I was trying to avoid that bad habit I have um, of <laughs> editing it after, you know, after publication like I have any right or something. But yeah, I don't know what I would say to change it. But it it did start to, you know, drag me down a little bit and I think took some momentum and oomph out of it. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, Wilde is such, he is the fascinating fairy figure at the heart of it all and fluttering about and bringing his aesthetics movement to everything. Like, I just think the longer he's off the page, the worse it is. Even even if I'm going to walk away ultimately from this book, I think less impressed with Oscar Wilde than I ever would have dreamed myself to be. I also have never studied him in any depth. You know, I read the picture of Dorian Gray and a couple of things he wrote. And that was it. I don't, I really knew nothing about him before this. So, (laughs) so my opinion of him is lowered. My opinion of his writing, I think will stay where it has been. So that that (laughs) remains a bit unchanged, but at at any rate, that's all just to say, yeah, I think 
maybe the tangents or the names of it all was becoming too much for me. But far be it from killing the attention or any or the interest it was generating or anything like that. I've found it to be a great read so far. So yeah, a pretty small quibble ultimately. Yeah, I agree. Get back to the yeah. Get back to just get back to Henry James talking shit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> get to that faster. <laughs> I wonder in the second half who else is going to be <laughs> talking. I imagine uh, it seems like a great number because I doubt he's going to publish anything meaningful on his trip. So I, I'm sure a great many people will make fun of him <laughs> uh, for having accomplished nothing. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's oh, gosh, I guess we'll get into the quotes now. So we do end the I say end when this is the meat of it we're getting into now. But we do like to do in nonfiction episodes just what we call cocktail party quotes. We are each going to give three quotes to talk about just things that we thought were the most compelling or interesting subjects, things that are really well-written, any any manner of reasons, really. And I'll say before I jump in with the quotes, because I don't think I pulled one. Actually, I did. I'll, I'll segue this into a quote. I'm going to talk about the Emily Lazarus quote on 68 to start. This is, to be fair, a quote from another person, so this is not something the, the author generated, but this does fit in with my praise that I enjoy the quotes he pulls from from history. This is from the poet Emily Lazarus, who wrote the New Colossus, really famous, or sorry, Emma. I kept seeing Emily. Uh, Emma Lazarus, really famous poet about this poem about the Statue of Liberty. Anyway, this is her quote about Wilde. But I do not agree with those who say that he is beneath contempt intellectually. He is written together with a lot of trash and verbiage, some charming and some manly verse. Av and Pietrix, I don't know that one, but is a fine poem and could only have been written by a man of genuine imagination and talent. But for the very reason that he is not a fool and knows what he is about, I think he is more to be despised and shunned by all sensible people for making such a consummate ass of himself. The barefaced courting and vulgar notoriety in a man with well-founded pretensions to good birth, good breeding, and an intelligence conspicuously above the average is, I really do think, something beneath contempt. It's not the only takedown of Wilde's in the book so far, Mm -hmm. and I have admired that this historian, this writer, has been quite open to praising Wilde and critiquing him in equal parts, acknowledging his sort of foresight and genius while also allowing the people of his time to give sincere critiques. I just, in my life, never thought I would read such a scathing thing about a person that in our kind of literary education is held up as just sort of an ultimate genius. And I just loved it. It seemed like such a fair criticism of someone who at this point in his life had done truly nothing, Mm -hmm. except for go to a great college and do well. Things to be admired, to be sure. Wouldn't detract from that accomplishment in any way. But it just seemed like, I mean, this is, we're inundated with celebrity culture now. So maybe my senses or my criticism are going to be heightened because of that, because it's, it's so easy to lash out at people who seemingly have no talent, but are somehow like doing great. (laughs) That just has become a bothersome facet of our lives now, for some reason, it's just, there's just so much of that, it seems. And, you know, fairly or unfairly that criticism, but yeah, I just, that quote was so particularly vicious and well-written and so kind of she's very dismissive of it, but then is quite brutal, too, and really gets, I think, of all the quotes, got at the heart of why, if all of this is true about him, let's say, let's say that the, all of the things he covered, all the history, the perspective in this book is accurate, and this is who Wilde was and what he wanted, could there be a better takedown of why it's such a waste of a person's energies? Like, why are you know, like... This is beneath contempt to take all of this advantage and all of your intellect and then waste it on just nothingness or something. Mm-hmm. So, right, just I for thought fame. it was, yeah, 
Yeah, I just thought it was the maybe most concise takedown of all the ones in the book so far. Yeah, I I enjoyed that too because she's someone who is also well known, uh, was well known yeah. during her time specifically as right. as a poet and somebody who Oscar Wilde aspired to be somebody who with literary renown because yeah, of yeah. literary achievement not because of uh social connections and stuff like that so he was using obviously his social connections to be able to further his own literary prowess but i i really enjoyed it because i was thinking of in in modern day um when people talk smack about like Paris Hilton and the Kardashians and other uh, the Jenners, which are also, I guess, the Kardashians. I don't know. Um, well, I think a lot of it stems from reality TV. Yeah. Because ugh, talk about a can of worms I don't wish to unpack without thinking it through more or something. But given the nature of this book, you kind of have to connect it to that now because there's no, there's hardly any other modern equivalent that's so obvious as that because. For most reality TV show, the starting premise is there. there's no talent, skill, or professional thing to get you started in it. It's just, I don't know. I'm thinking of things like the, I don't know much about the Housewives series, but I is there some kind of bar for getting on that show? I don't know. The same with the other really common one I could think of would be Bachelor or Bachelorette. And I don't think, other than being single, and I think those people are, tend to be like a little older, right? It's not like they're plucking twenty-two-year-olds for that show. They're they're looking for people who've like tried to fall in love and haven't really had it work yet. Is that kind of the premise? That's I've been my never perception. seen that show, so I have yeah, no idea. from the outside, that's my perception. It's kind of like, and you know, they all end up being conventionally beautiful too. That's another yeah. like qualification. Mm-hmm. But there, since there's no, I don't know, profound well of talent going on, or you know, there doesn't seem to be some really hyper rigorous i'm sure there's a million applicants but there's not some like hyper hyper rigorous process to it all i guess yeah it just leads to such easy criticisms or something and it just seems like wild was way ahead of the curve on perceiving that yeah and also with with lazarus in particular her critique because she was like somebody who was successful because of you know, it was a merit-based thing instead of just, like, fame gave her that. She was even more critical, I think, and and um, felt she felt like she was right in pointing out um, Wilde's hunger for fame um, in a negative light mm-hmm. because she did accomplish what he, at that point, had failed to accomplish. And so she right, was pointing right. out that, like she and others who deserve more uh, praise, not to say that she was like praise hungry or anything like that, but that they, as as a literary group, as a like Henry James's point, right? Like, what is he famous for? Yeah, yeah. I, I find that fascinating compared to today when you look at uh, some of the celebrity feuds, specifically the feuds that like people like Paris Hilton and the Kardashians who are known simply because of their reality shows and stuff like that um, versus celebrities who are like actors or singers and stuff like that. I find it fascinating because the they get called out on not doing things. Like, what have you done except for like build on a name that your dad gave you, kind of like what Wilde did, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I keep making those connections and I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to give that quote, if only because, again, just to, because I feel like I meandered there at the beginning for a while too, but here's the concise thing. If you're educated in any advanced way in through a literary program, like again, like we were, but even in high school, maybe you encountered Wilde for some readings. Mm-hmm. He's just always presented as a genius, full stop. Yeah. You know, that he was a, the, one of the most clever people to have ever written the w- words <laughs> and that, you know, he, it can't be disputed. It, it would be like critiquing Shakespeare as a simpleton fool or it would be such a pointless endeavor. No one would ever, it seemed to me anyway, propose the opposite. So seeing all of this was just like stunning to me. But again, I knew almost nothing about Wilde's actual life (laughs) before reading this book. So I had only encountered his art, you know, never his person. So yeah, I don't know. Reading a quote like that, just the viciousness of it. And I, to me, again, from my point of view, my vantage point in this following this narrative, it seems totally fair. He wrote some maybe mediocre to okay poetry and then was like, I'm doing this. Let's, I'm famous. I'm going to, let's do lectures. <laughs> like, about what? You haven't, didn't do anything. <laughs> and so I am just nodding along. I mean, but God, what a, what a mental twist it puts you in knowing that he had it in him and he pr- did prove it and publish things that were genius. Yeah. At least, yeah, in my mind, they were. I, I've enjoyed his writings as I've encountered them. But yeah, then to see him do this before actually producing anything is kind of maddening. Yeah. Where you're like, well, they, maybe they'll admire him in the end, but most of them will be dead before he publishes all that stuff. <laughs> they'll never have known that he actually had the goods or whatever. Right, right. So, yeah, just an odd quote and has put myself in a mental... I, yeah, it's kind of put an awakening in my mind and just seeing him attacked is so strange. Yeah, but yeah. Just my perspective on it for sure. How about a quote for you? <laughs> um, Sure. I did mine in chronological order, so this one is from page 19. In the Victorian world Wilde was born in, fame accrued from one's deeds, notoriety from one's persona. The former was bestowed by others as a response to real-world accomplishments. The latter was usually accomplished by oneself using an identity or pose created in one's imagination. He had intuited something new about the ways one might seek the intoxicating immortality of renown. He suspected notoriety could give birth to fame or replace it with a flashy new category, incorporating the best and worst of notoriety and fame. This is the status we now call celebrity. So I, I liked this quote because it actually gives it pretty clear definition of, of celebrity according to the author, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which drives the rest of, obviously, the, the reading that we do. And I, I thought it was interesting, too, that he kind of uh, divides the idea of celebrity, fame, uh, accomplishment into two different categories where there's fame and then there's notoriety specifically from one's actions versus one's actual personality. And the idea of persona comes up several times in this book, um, especially yeah, with the idea yeah. of authenticity in a persona. So I, I thought that was really interesting. And I think that could be a, a really interesting conversation to have with somebody as well. For sure. Yeah. Do you, What do you make of his att- attempted celebrity so far then? And I guess I should have asked you this since I just laid out my background. D- had you studied his life in depth before? Did you already know all this about him and his quest to become famous and whatnot? Um, no, I did not. I, I knew yeah. about um, the the sexuality and the, the, the jail time and stuff like that. And I've read like yeah. his fairy tales, a couple of his poems and... Um, his plays 
and a couple of his short stories, and I, I've loved all of it. So that's pretty mm-hmm. much the extent of, of my For example, background. I would have bet any amount of money, having read a couple of those letters he wrote about America, again, offhand, so I don't even remember where I read those. Maybe it was a, Maybe it's one of the books we teach or something. It's a passage or something. It might be something like that. Anyway, I've seen it that before in print at any rate. I would have bet a million dollars, more money than I'll ever accrue, <laughs> my forever debt, that he would have published a bunch of stuff before coming to America because that's why he would have come. Like I would have bet anything on that because that. <laughs> why else would you do a tour when you do, haven't done anything yet? <laughs> yeah. So the entire premise of this, I don't know. I guess it just kind of stunned me that mm-hmm. this was his pursuit and this is how that this was the order of operations in his life in the end mm-hmm. yeah that he like he hadn't even written any of the things i've read and so admired yet and yet he went on this vast you know adventure for fame it's just so yeah anyway wouldn't have known that at all it fits though when you when you read and and you figure out more about his personality you get so much of his personality anyway from from reading his books and, and yeah, his writing true. but it makes sense because he's so bold and kind of in your face about things it's like of course he would Mm -hmm. and and very arrogant in some ways so it very much fits i think his personality to just be like well i'm gonna go do this and (laughs) get famous while i'm doing it even though i'm you know not doing anything else (laughs) but being a dinner party guest (laughs) and i didn't pull this quote but i'm going to describe it now because i think it's was a crucial moment for me in the story the story as it's been or the narrative the moment then when he gives his first lecture in New York and he whips out his Oxford education right there and yeah. just <laughs> and finally puts it on full display, which, again, as a person reading today who knows him, no, I you know, it's like, well, I've seen him be a literary genius. So he, he it's in there. I don't know if he'll deploy it, you know, right. <laughs> in this setting. And then then, of course, you know, he does and has this intriguing though. The lectures were getting mixed reviews, but at least the way that first one was portrayed he interwove all those different scholars and there's a lot of ideas and he's you know being really erudite basically that is such a crucial moment too then because you then it, at least it lets the reader know okay he does have something and you know mm-hmm. that education it was none of that was for nothing and none of that was faked or something you know he has a legitimate genius in there and so that i think is a crucial moment as well then because it helps undercut some of the otherwise maybe this book Despite, I think, the author admiring Wilde, I think it could come off as a bit harsh on him because of how brutal all the press was to him at the time. And so many of his contemporaries were seeming to be. So I think that moment was kind of essential, too. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that um, as well. And it also undercuts, even back in um, England, he was getting some some of the other famous people Mm -hmm. were already kind of saying some not so nice things about him and calling him a hack and stuff like that and yeah so it was we knew that he was intelligent already for winning that scholarship he met, makes sure to Friedman makes sure to mention that at the very beginning as well um that got him out of Ireland in the first place and into Oxford um yeah yeah so we we knew it but it was nice to see it as well and to see the the surprise in the audience i really enjoyed that (laughs) for sure for sure i maybe we're going super off script this episode which is fine an episode of digressions for us as well but (laughs) does it make did you feel at times reading some of the newspaper clippings and all that stuff now granted i guess we do have pretty hard-hitting satire if you read some onion pieces at the right or wrong moment some of it can be really pretty cutting but I, i don't know my point being 
Do you feel like people these days get, I can't believe I'm about to wade into this, but like get offended more easily? Because he was getting like viciously ripped. Like I can't imagine a person critiquing another person in some with some of the strength and vitriol that these now granted again and maybe like political discourse or with some of those figures you do get some of that online and twitter trolls saying all you know really hateful things but in terms of public figures speaking on other public figures in a way i don't it just seems all pretty elevated to me Mm -hmm. the the harshness of it all and i i don't think that's a point to say we've all gone softer you know we need to be more vicious but the the criticism levied against him is was pretty brutal at times and i i just i I feel like i see feuds these days quote unquote uh, even among celebrities or people in pop culture artists for just so much less than this Mm -hmm. like i can't this would be like a firestorm of an attack if somebody came out and started speaking about others with this type of vitriol well, it's seen by so many more people too right like i mean it's, it's plastered everywhere it's and the person it's almost impossible for the person not to see public comments about them. Whereas back then, I guess because of the, yeah. Yeah. The, the lack of internet, <laughs> if he wanted well, to see yeah. everything, he would have to just like go around and like buy all the magazines and buy all the newspapers and stuff. And not totally. to say that he possibly didn't because <laughs> he did send quite a few of the positive clippings back to his um, family. He, uh, sure. Friedman points he, was, out. he was cautious, but also and, like yeah. Friedman points out that wild, like takes it all in stride because Wild's yeah, motto yeah. was like, hey, at least they're talking about me. That That's the other component, too. This is, again, just tangential observation. But, yeah, without PR companies running people, I, you just the way it would all be done now would be so much more buttoned up and kinder, and it would all be PR managed. Right. And so I guess seeing it all – now, here's the other thing I hadn't thought of that you just kind of illuminated that I realized, too – I'm conflating in this book the public and private. Like, a lot of that stuff is from correspondence that was private. I, I'm pretty sure the Emily or Emma Lazarus quote would have been, like, in a letter right. to. And of course, in private, people are still as vicious. I don't, you know, whatever, human nature, we can have that discussion. But <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I'm not claiming that, of course. But I just, the, the public facing aspects of this, I don't. Gosh, I, it's just hard to come up with the celebrity equivalent. The Even the fights you see in reality TV shows or something, the ones like, you know, the cut, cue the dramatic clip and the, oh, then, oh, you know, Brad yells at her about, like, it all just seems so tame compared to the things that he's enduring or, or whatever, the criticisms he's they're being leveraged against him. So that's all just uh, observational, but. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of it, too, is like the. Uh the way that he looks they keep mentioning like his big teeth which i don't see yeah, big teeth yeah. in these pictures but his big teeth and his long jaw and his long hair and it's it's a lot of it is very physical and also they mm-hmm. there's several like jokes about his sexuality and everything yeah um, those are things like nowadays would garner a lot of backlash on the person who would say it um, right, for, right for several reasons so there's also a totally different climate of like True. almost protection for people that people think are being bullied yeah no compl- that's completely true and i you know social progress probably i yeah. mean almost definitely i'm i'm on board I, that's fine i <laughs> and i think 
some of the critiques of his approach and and I think of any celebrity approach in this way, I, the baseline cr- critique, I guess, is what I want to say is I agree with it. Yeah, I don't. Why why hold someone up when their work doesn't the the work is what matters always at least in my brain I don't mm-hmm. know so I'm I'm aggressive about that like I yeah I don't, I wouldn't have been praising him either probably I would have read his poetry book at least given it a shot you know right. but it's but I I also wouldn't have been head over heels I'm not gonna be I I think I'm not the type to be swooned over at a cocktail party or you know I I guess I could be manipulated but I don't know like if the work wasn't there to back it up I would probably just shrug and be like I don't, why do I care about this person right. the, there was some woman I think some person from Poland I think a model or actress who said why do why are we talking about this person <laughs> they're like why do we why do I have to know who this person is right. <laughs> I don't right. it doesn't matter so at any rate okay I'm gonna get us back on track of led us astray for too long. Quick quote from me that I actually did pull (laughs) that we can talk about, uh, which was, I thought, just very relatable. I'll keep it real brief here. On page 56, when he's aboard the ship to come to the United States, it reads, this is his adventures. Cart had instructed Wilde to write his lecture while on the ship, but Wilde failed to get it done. The lure of the Grand Saloon bar, it seems, was too much to resist. And then, but while Wilde was playing, the cart office in New York was working and had been for weeks, even before Wilde walked onto the Arizona. Colonel, is it Colonel W.F. Morse, I guess? The cart operator who had sent the cable offering him a lecture tour mailed a solicitation letter to booking agents between Washington and Boston. He embellished the truth in his pitch, et cetera, et cetera. I just thought this was so relatable that Wilde is... He just doesn't want to work. This is the other thing where it's just you have this person. I just thought this moment was so charming and, again, just kind of recast my opinion of this person. I thought was kind of this literary titan and, and kind of is, you know, but I don't know. It was just kind of like, ah, oh, he, he's another writer who just doesn't want to write either. He just wants to talk and be entertained and drink. And then, you know, the actual writing, though, what a misery. So I just, I don't know, deeply relatable, kind of a funny moment and made him yeah personable in a sense too yeah i i do enjoy the way that uh friedman paints oscar wilde's personality i think it's it's wonderfully done yeah yeah and just i thought a nice bit of characterization there about him but again in terms of the i don't know if i wanted to be a literary snob about it or something i could see why he gets so attacked he showed up with nothing ready i don't what did (laughs) he showed up without a like he hadn't thought this through he he doesn't actually do the work (laughs) of it all you know he just showed up and you know flaunted his oxford education or something i don't know but yeah Anyway, a quote for you. What other quotes? Yeah, I can uh, build on that idea of his not working Uh, from page 45. Uh um, George Gissing. So this is the quote. George Gissing in his novel New Grub Street, published in 1891, noted that men no longer, quote, succeed in literature so that they may get into society, but get into society so that they may succeed in literature. End quote. This path to success had been pioneered by Oscar Wilde more than a decade earlier. Um, So it goes to the idea of like wild wanting to reap the benefits of fame and um, specifically fame and acknowledgement of his genius, even though he had not particularly shared his genius with people at that point. Um, But I was also wondering like with, with this point of like, to get into literature, you actually first have to be famous, right? You have to succeed on on a personal level before you can be a success in literature. Right. I found that really fascinating. And what does that even say about art and society and the idea of like nepotism within the ranks of of art? Like, 
I, I found that fascinating. Right. Well, you would think. Let's let's reach for a grand historical point here. Part of you know the idea of America, anyway, especially as a rejection of England, getting away from really stratified societies, you know, lord and king systems and all that aristocracy, all that stuff. So then it becomes well, okay, maybe we can have more democratized art. That sounds great. You know, more equitable. You don't have to be born into a family to be an artist. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think America has just traded that notion in for a different class system, but just based around raw economics. And just, well, eventually, you know, capitalism and the functions of that, which, you know, it's a different strat. It's still stratified, though. You know, it still is a stratified system. We just kind of swapped for a different type. And whether you think one is better than the other and how art gets made and what types and qualities of art get produced from either. You're right. It's a grand question. And I think this book is opening up some really interesting points about it for sure. Mm -hmm. And that's a great quote to demonstrate that. Yeah, I don't I'm not even sure I want to give a conclusion or something because. It's such a big, broad question. I'm not sure if you have thoughts on it. But yeah, that's how I would think of it, too. It's just sort of an... It's almost like he came to America and invented or helped invent the American way, moving away from the British method of it or something. Yeah. I, th- I think that it would be um, an interesting, probably really long conversation <laughs> and perhaps another yeah. another yeah. book to read. <laughs> and I don't... I'm not sure this book has an answer to that yet, though I think... I think we just kind of stumbled into its answer insofar as it is he is clearly prioritizing like the thesis laid out, right? Marketing and advertising, Mm -hmm. right? So what America did by democratizing art made it so, yeah, you don't have to be born into a certain thing. So we took the birthright issue away. But now the issue is not if you can make good art, it's if you can promote well. And that's it's sales and economics now. So it's not so much about you know, heritage issues. It's about, it's just an economic issue now. And so it, again, it's a trade-off, you know, you could argue it makes better or worse art. That I think is a massive question for sure. And, you know, maybe unanswerable in in this format or, you know, beyond our book, this book's breadth. So that's interesting too, because um, our friend Eric, he um, has written a novel and, and several short stories and stuff like that. And so he was telling me about the process of, of trying to get published and the way that you go about doing that is you have to write uh, query letters where you promote yourself and your writing. You're trying mm-hmm. to yeah, market yeah. your writing rather than just like, hello, person that publishes things or assistant, here is my book. Please let me right. know what you think. It's like you have to first sell them on even wanting to read the book before they sure. read it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, valuable their their time and parsing all the pitches they get. I'm sure is that's the value too. And you know, yeah. one could easily just argue too in his case, or even a hypothetical person, you know, trying to publish that kind of thing. I mean, what's a workaround to that? Well, go to grad school and try and meet people. Yeah. You know, I don't like that, <laughs> which is a huge money sink. That's where the aristocracy comes back in, but it's just economics now. It's not right. <laughs> instead of being born into some weird social grouping and having a manor house or something. It's can you afford to go to grad school and not take on massive and take on massive debts? And yeah, and like, you know, if you went to Columbia's creative writing program or something, you're likely to meet a a friend, make a friend, make a connection. Ooh, this publisher, ooh, this, you know, the, the program will help get you those connections, but that's, it's just a different, 
it's still a barrier, you know? Yeah. Maybe the internet's the great answer, but I don't know. Not the fondest person for of the internet, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it is, you know, that, that might be one of the eventual answers is you can always promote yourself. But again, then it does come down to the promotion anyway. Right, talk exactly. about. I mean, yeah, the internet, ultimate democratization. Wild would have been going nuts. But what, I mean, gosh, <laughs> given Wild's proclivities in this book, he would have done anything online to get. It. I mean, my he would have been in pornographic films almost unquestionably or something. Oh, yeah. And that's that's not even me making a slight or some kind of joke about his sexuality and the nature of that of about which I know nothing. But I just, what where would he have stopped? He would have gone sex tape, at oh, the, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, he was he was clearly willing to do anything of the of the social time period, anything on the edge. He went all the way. He would did the most extreme things. So I guess today that's that what that would be, right? I don't. Does it yeah. get further than that? Uh, yeah. Boxing for boxing people now. Did you see all this in the news recently? There's like famous people now do boxing matches. What? Yeah, it was over the weekend. There were some YouTuber celebrity guys who like are becoming boxers now. And anyway. And they made, yeah, breaks in tons of money. But so, yeah, he would have been boxing and making sex tapes, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> he would have been on Survivor <laughs> or whatever. Uh, the Bachelor. The Bachelor Oscar Wilde actually needs to retroactively happen. And when we invent time machines, that's the one thing we'll do. We can kill Hitler later. We got to do Oscar Wilde <laughs> Bachelor first. <laughs> We've got priorities here. Okay. Uh, any other quotes? You have another quote you want to throw out there? I think you, one more. Yeah, I've got one more. It, it goes yeah. back to actually my first quote, which was the idea of the, the persona. Um, and this is from page 114. For Whitman, Walt Whitman, this role playing wasn't phony. Every pose he struck on stage and on film, no matter how outlandish, was to his mind both natural and authentic, if not in the sense that his friend William Roscoe Thayer could understand, but in a way that Wilde did. This type of authenticity, the fashioning of an image one would be faithful to in public, Wilde experienced while performing as an aesthete at Oxford and in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting is like your public persona is your authentic self, but it's right. different from your, your at home persona, which I find interesting because you and I have had a conversation actually about like public facing persona versus, um, private persona, but we mm-hmm. had not talked about the authenticity of, of either one. Are they actually just pieces of yourself are you yeah. putting on an act at all? Like he specifically says it to a pose. And when you think of a pose, it's something that's not natural. Right. Right. It's temporary. You right. Know, so by I definition. I, it's a great point that the book raises. I don't. Do you think we're going to get enough of wild behind the scenes or something? Because, you know, for as much as we're getting impressions of Wilde from the outside, there hasn't been a ton of his own writings or thoughts portrayed, right? I mean, we certainly have gotten things he's believed in in correspondence, things about his parents. I think there's been some he's had direct commentary. But I think the author has been pretty content to just kind of almost summarize that part of it. And so, again, it's just not a biography, right? It's just not probing his mental... It's probing his mental state and decision-making, analyzing it, but it's not doing a deep dive into, yeah, the the big question you asked, right? Whether he was being authentic or what his state of mind was. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Perhaps if we 
read a, a biography or even better an autobiography then we would <laughs> have a better yeah. idea but isn't the that. point that his autobiography couldn't be believed anyway it's so, <laughs> so true or you know called into question <laughs> sharply called into question yeah and it would no, be I think... littered with a lot of um epigrams that was the word we were struggling yeah. for epigrams for sure right i it's funny I before I jumped on to record this with you, I was talking to my friend about the streaming platform Twitch. Do you know what that is? Yeah, of course. That's um that's cool. where I was introduced to Critical Role. There you go. Yeah, and they it's a lot of games. I guess both um, board or what are they? I guess it's like a role playing game, but there are a lot of video games too. But the, you know, Twitch is a platform where you can stream to the world and kind of just it's kind of the do anything platform. It's associated with gaming for sure, mm-hmm. but you can also just go there and make an entertainment stream of anything really i think is fair game there so the point being i was just talking to a friend of mine about like literally before we got on this um pod (laughs) about some people on twitch famous people and i think we settled in our conversation or at least my perspective i settled on was i think the I don't think any person is mentally skilled or equipped enough to don a 100% fake persona so much like the Twitch streamers stream a lot, you know, they get the four to eight hours a day is a typical, I think, shift, you know, for that kind of work, sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. And even if you want to claim, let's say somebody on Twitch made a big mistake once they they use some inappropriate language or they slipped up or, you know, something unfavorable happened to them. They could always claim it's all an act. They could because it's streamed. And that's that's what makes the Internet so maddening is anything can be ironic now and anything can be pretend because it's, you know, I'm just broadcasting. You know, I'm entertaining you. Right. I'm an entertainer. But there's something about the commitment to that. I just don't buy it. I I don't think you can put a persona out for that breadth and for that many hours and sustain it in a way when it's not, it wasn't a part of you the whole time. It must come from some part of you. You can quibble with the percentages or whatever. I, it, my interpretation would be it's more of a percent than the person would want to admit or something. But because mm-hmm. I just don't think even professional Hollywood actors, they get time off and they get a weekend, you know, and like they, right. they go to the set and then they get to leave. And so Twitch is just that, but it, you know, doing it with so many more people, um, can go out and stream. I just, I don't know. It all seems too comfortable in escape from maybe controversies or, you know, public outcries against you or something. It just seems like, of course it would be the ultimate comfortable escape. I'm a persona. It's fine. I, none of that mattered. I just don't buy it. I think you can't even, even to invent a persona, to drum one up and imagine it, you could go any direction. So the direction you chose says something about you. That's true. Again, how much it says, uh, quibble away forever for infinity. I don't know. You you know, I'm not in your brain, but you did choose a path in your persona, which means that it is, it was a part of you all along. Yeah, and so for a while, that's, you know, what are, what are we seeing in this book? He's really sociable and outgoing. He's witty. He's pretty smart and, you know, a clever guy. He seems pretty comfortable being uncomfortable. That's another thing is he doesn't ever seem to take anything too hard. He just kind of floats between scenario to scenario, doesn't get hung up on things, it seems, too dramatically. That all seems like, why wouldn't that be who he was anyway? Mm-hmm. He just amped it up and then attempted to make it into his job, essentially. Yeah. What's your reading of that so far? Do you find find his persona to be 
a compelling actual human or is he some co- sort of just is he, is he put on a mask and never to be removed or something i think that he is amplifying um the things that he thinks people like about him the witticisms the right um the cavalier attitude the <laughs> over the top nature of things but mm-hmm. i still think that that is a part of who he is because he could not have developed those skills so well without having first had that seed within him, I guess. Yeah, and of course with him we have the benefit of his written works which line up with all of those characteristics. And right. so it's even, again, if you wanted to be extremely nitpicky about this thought experiment or something, you could say, well, I mean, you can write how I could write in a vicious voice and pretend to be anything, right? Writing is always, almost always pretend. Yeah. <laughs> and so I could, of course, he could have been pretending then too, but at some point, the the very construction of the work and the nature of its construction shows a, a certain type of mind or capability of mind. And if those things align with even what we would call a persona, that just seems like who he was then at that point. Right. But again, and I, I just don't believe even in celebrity and I don't know, in America, we have such a study here of it. You can make such a study of this, but I just don't believe that a person can could be so fraudulent so for so long and not I mean I guess that's how these celebrity breakdowns happen or something maybe but yeah it just seems impossible against human nature to <laughs> to just be faking it so aggressively and thoroughly all of the time I just all don't believe time, yeah. that it's just I, I don't know it just doesn't seem like human nature or something so bigger questions though I'll do my final quote again it'll be a brief one though because we've We've enjoyed our discussion on other topics today, um, but does that mean we've chosen good cocktail party quotes? I think so. I think so. (laughs) By definition. (laughs) Uh, Final quote, though, that I have to throw out there, it kind of fits in with the Lazarus one from before. This is pretty recent on 128. This is the discussion of when he started doing some college tours in his kind of, what are they calling it? Lecture tour? Yeah. Is it a lecture? Speech tour? Lecture tour. Lectures, yeah. Anyway. Apparently, there were some students, this is a quote, at Harvard, where Longfellow had taught for decades who thought that that revered institution of learning had been sullied by Longfellow's decision to receive the self-proclaimed professor of aesthetics, even if he had graduated with honors from a university as prestigious as their own. So the students hatched a plan that, much to the befuddlement of the sold-out crowd at Music Hall on January 31st, resulted in dozens of empty seats in the auditorium, all of them in the front, just moments before Wilde was scheduled to begin speaking at 8 p.m. This mystery was solved when, just before that appointed time, a posse of Harvard students marched noisily and ostentatiously down the center aisle of the auditorium in pairs toward those empty seats. This is how one reporter described it. So they were doing poses and kind of pretending to be him and being dramatic and doing his whole aesthetic and being... Have you noticed how often the word languid has showed up in this book? Oh, a lot. (laughs) Yeah, he's very languid, apparently. So, I mean, you know, you got to stick to the adjectives that are correct. That's fine. I get it. I'm on board. But anyway, so they were doing that too. But just, I thought, a a moment of genuine comedy. Of course, Wilde has a witty retort to them. So, you know, again, he is the person he is. You can't just make that up on the spot unless you're actually witty and clever. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Otherwise, you would be befuddled and not be able to do it. So he did it. But anyway, so I just, that one is kind of not the Lazarus in that it's not really harsh what they did, but I just thought it was a nice connection across time to show, firstly, college students being rambunctious and maybe a touch annoying, and two, to show 
I mean, essentially a form of protest in a sense, like their, their quibbles against him or their critiques of him were actually pretty genuine. He's beneath our institution. He's not providing anything interesting. He's not intellectually worth our time. But then of course they do it in this like offensive or really kind of silly or stupid way. And you know, it's pretty petty what they did, et cetera. But I, for how often in, I feel like colleges these days, there's often um, outcry around certain speakers going. These are often political these days. They're not so much artistic, <laughs> but they're more about political things. But, you know, and so there's outcry about, oh, should this be allowed? And, oh, there, people are protesting it. And these are just old issues. I, I found some comfort in that, thinking like, oh, yeah, this has been – people are going to continue to do this. This is a normal thing. There's nothing, you know – we don't all have to get up in arms when there's some kind of protest or somebody's shouted down or not, or, you know, there's, I, I just feel like it was, it almost seemed kind of healthy in an odd way and right. comforting to see this, again, rather petty display. It wasn't like they attacked him or did something egregious. It was just sort of a silly college thing. So I don't know, a small comforting moment, I guess. I loved his reaction to it too. And, and almost like he, right, he, Friedman says that he must have been tipped off about it beforehand because right. he specifically did not where the satin breaches and stuff like that so yeah an interesting thought or analysis i suppose that could be true i don't think he backed that with any exact proof that's his that's a supposition right Right. that was a supposition okay. yeah 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 so and, well, fair enough though i mean because to not dress up in his garb right why not right. he had such an outfit about him <laughs> such a costume to it or something right Gosh, could you imagine, let's get back to the persona thing quickly. Could you imagine wearing such a costume and not having at least an ounce of enjoyment of it genuine? I mean, come on, it's really, he's going to wear a costume his whole life and be miserable in it just to accomplish something. Ah, There's got to be a part of him that loved it. Again, maybe not all and maybe not all the time, but I just can't, I can't fully buy into that, that it could be all an act. That just seems unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's got to be like, I mean, it's hot, right? I mean, he's under lights. He's speaking in public. It's all satin and velvet, right? God, that's so (laughs) miserably hot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe in his defense or in the defense of celebrity, maybe people in public Maybe everyone should don a bit of a persona and think better, you know, put up, put out the best version of themselves or something, you know, but yeah. and keep it authentic maybe more than he did. But yeah, I think, I, yeah, that's my, where I come down on it. And I, the clothes take it over the top. Or like you said, I'd be hot and miserable out of my mind. That <laughs> <outfit>. <laughs> <Be> crazy. <laughs> Get me out of there. Give me some shorts. Yeah. <laughs> Any final quotes you want to talk through for the cocktail party quotes? Nope, I'm good. Well, we hope... It's been a digressive episode, which I've really enjoyed. I do hope we've been witty and thoughtful enough for Oscar Wilde. I can say that as the episode wraps up as we come to our conclusion. Hopefully we've been insightful enough and have uh, made enough clever jokes to, to please him and, of course, to please you, our listeners. We'll wrap up this episode, but we do have the second half of the book, Wild in America, by David M. Friedman, coming up in a week. So we always post our book clubs on Fridays. So every Friday, check the feed for a new episode. Next week, we'll be doing the back half of this work and kind of discussing the whole thing to cap it off. We do have other books coming up for the Lightly Literary Podcast. We always pick three books in advance. Those three books in order are Tracks by Lewis Erdrich. Churchill and Orwell, The Fight for Freedom by Thomas E. Ricks, and Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Those are the next three books we've got coming up. Are those the right ones? Those are right. Yeah, they are. 
Okay, cool. I had to look down at my bookshelf here. I keep them next to me. So <laughs> I had to double check. For some reason, the Trevor Noah one didn't sound right. You know what it is, too? It, we are really ripping off quite a nonfiction streak in a way. We are. That's why I gave it such pause. Tracks is a novel, though. So it'll be, I guess it'll be, we've done two and then we're doing novel and then two more or so. What a ratio. Didn't see that for us. Yeah, we, we're usually more inclined towards the, the fiction, but yeah. Right. That's no, I, well, they've been great reads so far. Haven't been let down a bit, so I think we're just going to keep that going. All right, any final words on the on the read so far, Amanda? Uh, nope, I'm good. I did um, do a quick search mm-hmm. and Impressions of America by Oscar Wilde. It is available on Project Gutenberg. So, oh great, okay, there. and they've collected. Yeah. What is it? Uh, essays? Letters? Um, they are, so it, it's, it's a prose. They, they call it his prose. But yeah, it's it's just a long, a couple of essays, I guess, in there. Okay. Yeah. And they're separate, though. So there's what we would call essays. I don't know if that was a popular form back then. Yeah. But, it's just like, okay. it's got a couple of poems at the beginning, and then it's got his mm-hmm. main chunk one that's called Impressions of America. Um, which is just okay. like a, a long essay um, about how much he, I guess, did not care for America. <laughs> yeah. You know, final thought here before I really t- flip the train car all the way off the rails or whatever <laughs> in that metaphor, but I do think that is maybe the one thing missing from this work then is his own voice because I know his writing voice and it's so strong mm-hmm. yeah. and it really has not been included. So it's almost he hasn't had a chance to, in a literary genius way, defend himself or something, his reputation. Yeah. But again, his eventual reputation, because as we've I've said so many times in the, this episode, given what he is doing in this part of his life, I he doesn't deserve to be defended really yet <laughs> in the, yeah. in the literary sense so yeah or in the literary aspect so anyway but yeah i think that is kind of missing his own i'd i'd be excited to go back and read some of his perspectives now anyway yeah all right well fantastic we've been the lightly literary podcast episodes coming up we covered all that so check us out on our social media rate and review all the good stuff thanks as always for listening and we will see you between the pages 